So uh, this this lighting system that apparently makes dawn and dusk really help these patients. And honestly, it sounds absolutely perfect. So I want it to. <laughs> well, you gotta get into that psychiatric ward then. Um, <laughs> that's not really where I was going with this. Well, that's that's where they have it. I, I see no problem. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the 44th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jaron. Hi. Yesterday, we had the first real froster in the Netherlands. And now that we have the first evidence that winter is finally here, we knew we needed to do a special winter-themed episode. So today, we're going to talk about the winter dip, or more officially called seasonal affective disorder, also called SAD. I've wanted to know more about this for a long time, so let's start. So winter is coming, at least here in the Netherlands, now that the first uh, real frost has hit us. And it has hit us quite hard right away. Uh, I almost couldn't open my car. <laughs> and a colleague's bike was so frozen that her brakes got stuck to her wheel. <laughs> Which is a very, very Dutch thing, I would say. I mean, other people also have bikes around the world. Yeah, but do they get frozen while you're trying to... Bike to the metro? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> now, uh, quite funny, of course, but the changing of the season can have a real effect on people's mood. And we wanted to know more about this winter dip. So, of course, we did a deep dive into the literature. We're here, ready with a warm cup of uh, tea on this cold, cold day to talk some science with you guys. And we have gathered an enormous amount of information from many papers and are going to try to shape this into something that is both enjoyable to listen to and interesting. So yeah, let's start with the basics. Chiron, the winter dip, what actually is it? Well, Suzanne, mm-hmm. uh, it's also called seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, as you alluded to previously. And it's a type of depression that's related to changes in the season. And in most cases, uh, SAD uh, symptoms, I guess, appear during sort of like the late fall, early winter, and tend mm-hmm. to go away when it's, well, sunnier spring, summertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also another variant of this, that, another variant of it that's sort of less common, where people have the opposite pattern and it shows symptoms of sort of depression that begin sort of in the spring and summer. Uh, and then That sort sounds of, more like you, to be honest. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, or maybe I'm just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> In either case, the symptoms may start out mild and become more severe as the season sort of progresses. Okay. Uh, And it's a pretty, well, relatively quite common condition. Uh, The numbers sort of vary depending on which papers you read and which which, um, geographical area the the research was carried out in. But in general, so we have like the numbers for the U.S. and there about 5% of the U.S. population suffers from it, Mm -hmm. uh, suffers from SAD. Um, and they sh- report symptoms that are present over basically 40% of the entire year, which is quite a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah that's intense. Um, and what we know about SAD, at least from digging into uh, well, the research a little bit, is that it tends to be predominant in women. Sorry again, ladies. <laughs> uh, and it's also particularly common during, and I quote, childbearing years. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So uh, on top of, you know, having weird food cravings, you also might get sad, but not that kind of sad, the other, this sad. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and there's a 
quite, uh, depending again on the paper you read, uh, the reported sort of female to male ratio seems to be something like four to one. Um, Yeah, so it's quite skewed as well. Um, And it's been shown, or the the rates for SAD at least have been shown to sort of decline with older people. So older people are less likely to suffer from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, with older men and women sort of having equal susceptibility. So that sort of difference between men and women also disappears over time. Uh, And also children are, also some children are uh, susceptible to developing SAD as well. So it's not necessarily just an adult thing. No, but it does seem to be like after after teenager years, like 16 Mm -hmm. onwards, it it increases a bit. Yeah. And uh, I think it was also really interesting to read that uh, many people also have it in a, milder form mm-hmm. where you just yeah in the winter you're a bit slower you sleep a bit more but you're a vegetable <laughs> <laughs> yeah they call it vegetative symptoms you're not a vegetable, you're a vegetable. <laughs> um but they think that it's uh, more based on energy conservation conservation uh which are the core symptoms of sad and that might actually be the evolutionary re- reason to have it because of course evolutionary speaking we were always less busy in the winter and less yeah we were way more busy in the summer and then in the winter you would relax a bit and uh, i think we actually get back to it later too uh but say you were hearing you say that it is uh very pronounced in females there's actually also a theory that evolutionary speaking uh, apparently it also has a, a real effect on your wanting to reproduce um, and that meant that women would get less often pregnant in winter, which would mean that they would mostly get pregnant in summer. And then the child would actually be born in a more expectation season uh, for it to be able to survive and not during the winter, which is not good for babies. <laughs> At least not in the past, right? Uh, so they think it was really an evolutionary system to, to um, help with survival that we are now sort of stuck with now that we have overcome all these problems. So, yeah. Yeah. You have no response to that. Look, I am not going to talk about uh, female reproduction. Uh... Mm. Not just not just female, also males, but just like that combination leads to less pregnancy in the winter. Starting in the winter. Yeah. And that's better. But body heat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, now that we know a little bit about what it is, and we have even already talked about some evolution, um, Jerome, why don't you tell us what actually the symptoms are of SAD? Yes. So not to be confused with that other SAD. So the symptoms for SAD differ a little bit, but they come together in the form of uh, feeling listless to a certain extent, sad or down most of the day or nearly every day. Uh, losing interest in activities you once enjoyed, having low energy and feeling sluggish some of the time, or a lot of the time, having problems with sleeping, too much in this case. Uh, in addition to that, you can also experience a sort of carbohydrate cra- carbohydrate craving, uh, e- overeating, and uh, which eventually leads to weight gain as well. Uh, you can also have difficulty in concentrating. You could feel hopeless, worthless, or guilty. We we keep it upbeat here in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, you could also have uh, thoughts of, uh, you know, sort of suicidal thoughts or not wanting to live anymore and stuff like that. Yeah. And of course, if you have any of these symptoms, please find a professional to talk with. And um, yeah, 
Yes, this podcast is definitely not uh, not uh, psychiatric help. No. Um, but so those were sort of the more general types of uh, symptoms, and we can also make a distinction between sort of the more winter winter depression, winter sad, and the spring and summer version of sad, mm-hmm. and then they differ a little bit. So for the more specific to the fall and winter type of sad, you have the the oversleeping as a major major. Yeah, symptom. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, you have the appetite changes, especially towards a craving uh, for carbohydrates, which eventually leads to weight gain and also tiredness and low energy. Whereas in the sort of more spring and summer sad, you have somewhat of the opposite. Um, So you actually have trouble sleeping. So you have somewhat of an insomnia. Sorry. You may also experience uh, poor appetite, uh, also weight loss, which basically the opposite of what we see with the fall and winter sad. In addition to that as well, you have uh, sometimes agitation or anxiety and increased irritability. Yes. Okay. I'm still surprised that it's sort of called the same thing, sad, but depending on the season, it can be so different. Well, the whole thing about sad is that it's like uh, your mood affected by the seasons, right? It Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily say that it has to be winter. No, I I know, I know, but I'm just sort of thinking in terms of naming the, 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 disease i guess but yeah that's besides i the would point. say that the, the winter dip or the winter depression or the winter yeah it's a lot more known mm-hmm. than, no than, for sure mm-hmm. you can also have it about spring and summer yeah i didn't know that was an actual thing i thought that was mm-hmm. just something i was joking about <laughs> but apparently people actually suffer from this and who knows yes. yeah we are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor jenny ai not only does jenny make our podcast possible it also makes our life as scientists so much easier Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny, and if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Okay, now there's also several risk factors that make it more likely to have it, of course. Now we already talked about women being more likely to have sad. What are other ones, Jerome? So you might, depending on your family history, you, you might also be more in, uh, more at risk of developing sad. So people with sad may be more likely to have blood relatives uh, that ha- also suffer from depression. Mm. In addition to that, having major depression or uh, bipolar disorder may also be a risk factor for developing it. Uh, and uh, during the season, this might actually, your depression might actually worsen. Um, if you have one of those conditions already, 
you may, in addition to that, also apparently living far from the equator. So the, the latitudes uh, is a risk factor for developing SAD. So more Nordic people um, appears to be more common for people in the living in the north or very, very far in the south to suffer from SAD. Uh, and this might be due to the decreased amount of sunlight that they get they get during the winter winter times. Mm-hmm. In addition, you may also have another risk factor is also the low level of vitamin D. Uh, some vitamin D is produced in the skin when it's exposed to sunlight. Vitamin D can normally help to boost serotonin levels, but if you have less sunlight and you're not getting enough vitamin D. Uh, from foods and other sources, this may result in low levels of vitamin D in the body, which... Oh, well, I was already so surprised that I found nothing about vitamin D in, like, the causes, because I thought it was one of the major causes of this. Mm -hmm. But apparently, it's via the serotonin that... Ah, okay. So it does have some effect, vitamin D. Yeah. But not in the way that I thought. Okay, clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought, like, for vitamin D, you get the tryptophan, which then is the Mm, ingredient for... yeah. yeah. Yes, so uh, indeed, uh, the vitamin D via ser- via the serotonin pathway, I guess. Yeah, but vitamin D doesn't directly cause or no. help against that. Only via the serotonin. Yeah, okay. yeah, I guess, yeah. Uh, in addition to this, what we found out in the literature as well is that apparently people who are visually impaired are also at greater risk of developing SAD. I guess it has to do with, so apparently about 17% of the population that is visually impaired experiences a seasonal variation in their mood, so more likely to swing towards the sad and be depressed and stuff like that. Whereas it's only 8% for n- us normal sighted people, I guess. And yeah, so they're just more likely to develop sad and to a certain uh, extent that I guess has to do with not being able to really perceive the sunlight as much. Yeah, that puts them at greater risk. And, and lastly, one of the another risk factor for developing sad is age. So apparently it's more prevalent in adults under the age of 40 than over the age of 40. So you're actually less likely to have sad when you're older. I guess if, you know, you're, you, as you get older, you like, you don't care anymore, maybe or something like that. Well, I think it might also have to do again with that evolutionary reason for sad, that it might have something to do with your reproduction and that you want to reproduce in the right season. Because over 40, mm-hmm. I mean, reproduction is not happening sure. that well anymore. <laughs> I guess, I mean, males are still very, very, well, not super sexually active, I guess, either by that time, maybe, but... But they are not the ones that shouldn't they're get not pregnant. The, no. <laughs> yes, biology doesn't work that way. <laughs> yes. Okay. Shall we move on to diagnosis? Then? Yes. So, as far as we could find, that there was one clear method of way uh, that people used to, well, diagnose SAD, and that is the Seasonal Patterns Assessment Questionnaire, or SPAC. And you can sort of find a version of this online uh, as well if you want to have a look at it. But basically what it is is this type of questionnaire instrument that you can fill in, and it provides you... You basically have to provide information on your mood, uh, how much you eat, relative to other periods of the year as well, of course, um, because you're trying to figure out if you're more depressed in one time of period, uh, one period of the year than other periods of the year. Uh, and then also, at least in the version that uh, we came across, they also mentioned stuff along the lines of uh, how active you are during that month versus the other month as well. So it's really measuring a lot, but it's relative to other months. And it's important to mention that this SPAC doesn't uh, really do a great job. It's a good screening tool to figure out if you might have uh, SAD, 
but it's not a good diagnostic, doesn't have a good, a lot of diagnostic validity in trying to figure out whether you have SAD or subsyndromal SAD, which Suzanne can maybe tell you a little bit more about. Yeah, that was the version where, where you have some symptoms, but they don't actually hamper you in your daily life. You're just sort of more in a winter setting where you sleep a bit more and you're a bit more chill, I would say, than <laughs> in summer. But that, that is evolutionary meant to be that way almost so that does that you don't have to be treated for that actually mm. it's only when you really your mood and your behavior and you, you become really depressed then uh of course you need to find some help um we will also go over treatment options later in this episode but definitely go to a professional if you think you have any sort of depression symptoms whether they're seasonal or not uh find some professional help yes okay so, Suzanne, can you tell us a little bit about the causes? Of yeah, stuff? well, this is where the science gets interesting, right? So, um, there's two main bodies of work in the in the research field about this. And the first one mainly focuses on the circadian rhythm and the melatonin levels as a cause of SAD. And the other, the second body of work uh, has if really focuses more on the brain process and the cytokines and neurotransmitters that have uh, an effect on sad and then mainly things like serotonin, norepinephrine and dopamine. But the general consensus is really that it's caused by a combination of things and that it's never just one. But even though that is the case, we'll still talk about all of them. So the first one is the circadian phase shift, which is basically a shift in your circadian rhythm. So so your body has circadian rhythm that is regulated in the map nucleus or nuclei, the SCN center uh, of your hypothalamus. And when that circadian rhythm is not aligned with when you have to wake up and when you sleep, or when you would like to wake up and when you sleep, uh, that means that it's shifted. So it might be that you still wake up at a certain time, but that your body physiologically is just not in that same space as you. And that's when you have this disconnect between your circadian rhythm and when you're actually waking up and sleeping. And that might be a cause of, of sad. Um, now, your circadian rhythm is really dependent on certain cues. And one of them is light. Um, and research has shown that there are light-sensitive retinal ganglion cells that send signals to that SCN center in your hypothalamus. And those are independent of your usual cones and rods with which you see. And they, they, these cells actually express newly discovered photofigments such as melanopsin and cytochromes. And yeah, it was really interesting to find these, these spe special cells that communicate with your SCN center. And our researchers have been really trying to find if this phase shift is actually happening, right? But it's really difficult to measure this in people. And uh, the results of these studies have varied a lot. But a really recent study has shown that when you measure melatonin levels in uh, your saliva, that 71% of the sad people indeed have a shift in the, in the circadian phase, of a delay shift in circadian phase, uh, while 29% of the people actually have an advanced phase. Um, and it was actually expected that sad people would have way more of the delayed one, where you just sleep more, you're not really waking up in the morning, then the advanced phase where you just, that's the exact opposite, right? Mm -hmm. And that's way more um, common than originally thought. 
Uh, and this makes light therapy a really interesting treatment for SHAD because all those people who have a delay in the circadian phase could really do very well if they have some morning light therapy so that their this circadian rhythm can be reset by those special cells in your eye that send signals to your SCN center. Um, but it turns out that 29% of people actually should have some light in the evening uh, instead of in the morning. So that's actually quite interesting, I would say. No, for sure. And I, won I wonder how much you would have, like how big that fa uh, phase difference would be, if, how many hours or something like that. Yeah, that I'm not sure of. Yeah. They were already really happy that they could measure it now mm -hmm. by measuring melatonin in the, in the salivary samples. Um, and that actually leads to our second uh, suspected factor, which is actually the melatonin. And this is a hormone that affects your sleep patterns and mood and really also has to do with your circadian rhythm. It's actually uh, also regulated in that same SCN center in your, in your hypothalamus. And it is secreted by a gland, a pineal gland, in response to ambient darkness. So as long as it's dark outside, you make melatonin, and then when it becomes light, your, your SCN recognizes that, and then your melatonin goes down. Melatonin is actually really important, uh, again, for your circadian rhythm, because in animals, this regulates seasonal changes that have to do with like winter and summer, because animals need different behaviors in summer than they do in winter, including food intake, reproduction, uh, and this is all done by the melatonin signal that is affected by the length of the day. So if the day is shorter, you have more nights, you get more melatonin than when you do during the summer, I guess. Mm. And while this anatomical circuitry is also present in humans, the functional significance in our species remains controversial. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, interesting. Now, there have been multiple studies uh, looking at people with SAD and their melatonin levels. But so far, it has been really difficult to show actual differences in the amount of melatonin levels in these patients. Uh, there was one study that showed that uh, there was a bit more daytime melatonin during depressive episodes in these, in these um, patients. And this be did become better after light treatment. So that was interesting. But it's more likely the sort of the combination of your melatonin and your rhythm that together has an effect on this, right? Mm. Now, really interesting is that this is based on the lack of light, right? Um, and if you would expect that, or hypothesis about that, that means that if you go, go further, further north, you get more and more people with SAD. And that's indeed the case. There's a correlation of 0 0.66 uh, between latitude and the rates of SAD. And I think in some of the northern countries, it can go up to 10% of people suffering from SAD. Um, but if you think about that over time, mm -hmm. You would expect that people who really suffer from sad, the, the worst, don't want to live in the north, so they move more to the south. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you would expect that the population that lives in the north would be somewhat resistant to sad. Sad resistant, yes. Sad resistant, yes, indeed. And it actually turns out that if you take Icelanders and you move them to Mon Monitoba, Canada, their rates of sad are much lower than ethnic population with a similar lat latitude. So it does show that these Icelanders might be potentially genetically protected against SAD. Uh, over the state of Canada, another study from Canada, yeah. Canada uh, you don't see that negative correlation between uh, latitude and rates of SAD anymore, which is another 
sort of indirect show that people might have moved more to the south that they suffer more from sad. So, but I think it's really interesting. It's also a clear, well, idea that it might have also some genetic uh, effects. Yes, although at a certain point, yeah, I wonder if like if you stay just like tough it out <laughs> you'll you'll eventually get old enough and you'll survive the sad anyway or something like that i don't know i think it's nah, i don't know <laughs> i it's mostly over time right so yeah. you expect over time that certain populations become more shot resistant if they mm. live to the north yeah. um whether that is that non-sad people just reproduce more <laughs> or they move to the south that's yeah i will leave that up yeah to the research more research is required um so and then there was this other big part of the research that looks more at brain neurotransmitters in sad and i've mainly found things about serotonin and dopamine so i wanted to start with serotonin which is a neurotransmitter that affects food and food intake and there's really quite a lot of evidence that there is a seasonal rhythm to serotonin metabolism and turnover and that serotonin levels are decreased in the winter. And now uh, researchers have tried to give sad patients uh, serotonin replacements or probes or whatever they could find. And there were really mixed results. Uh, one paper showed that uh, sad patients during a depressive, depressive episode actually reported an increased activation of euphoria uh, relative to the controls following administration of this drug. And these responses seem to resolve after light therapy. So they seem to be a stable marker of winter depression. And I'm honestly surprised at like, all this research, how well light therapy seems to work. But let, we will get back to that yeah. as a therapy part. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. They've also tried to deplete serotonin by giving them certain dietary interventions where they take out uh, one of the most important amino acids to build that precursor of serotonin. So then you get less serotonin in your brain. And the sad patients seem to be really more sensitive to that um, than controls. There have been relatively few brain imaging studies looking at serotonin functions. However, one study showed a reduced availability of brain serotonin transporters, um, which are responsible for the reuptake of serotonin in sad patients. And uh, these, these findings were the clearest in the thalamus and hypothalamus, uh, which uh, is interesting. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, however, no gene, like um, no, no mutations or whatever have been found that link serotonin to sad. So uh, because people have, of course, been trying to find a genetic component that might be causing this, but in sad, no. Um, and then the other neurotransmitter that I found a lot about was dopamine. And it has many unique characteristics that might play a role in particular aspects of SAD syndromes, particularly the overeating. And it has a really big role in the brain reward processes. So uh, that's where dopamine plays the biggest role. And it actually is really important also for your light-dark adaptation in your retina, where it has a mutually inventory relationship with melatonin. So apparently dopamine is also there really important. And there is a D4 receptor that's important in the pathway of the dopamine. Uh, and some studies, electroretinography studies, <laughs> have shown that sad patients have a reduced B wave amplitude for this receptor. So they, they respond less when it's activated. 
uh, and this might reflect low retinal dopaminergic <laughs> activity. And there's actually a mutation in this DRD4 receptor uh, that have, has been linked to SAD, but also to childhood dysphoria, inattention, and uh, various manifestations of overeating and obesity. Interestingly, though, mm -hmm. uh, this uh, 7R, like allele. this the allele, this, this repeat, has been positively selected for in recent human evolution, which is interesting if you think about like the evolution of sad and why we would want more sad. More overeating and... Yeah, <laughs> but again, that might uh, go back to the, to the fact that, that you don't want females to get pregnant during the winter. Mm -hmm. And that was actually still quite relevant not too long ago. So that might actually be also a reason why, why this is happening. And especially also people who, who live more north actually want to become pregnant even less during the winter and then uh, have babies again just before winter and then the baby has to, to survive the winter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so in that sense, it's actually a really important evolutionary system, yes. which might make you feel a little bit better, maybe. Does it though? It doesn't change it. It's normal. It's, it's supposed to be that way. It's natural. Now I know to not plan babies in the winter. I Don't plan babies in the winter. Very no. true. Yes. Life advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, those are the, the four main causes of SAD that I could find. And as stated in the beginning, it's most likely a combination of these four. Yes. So I guess that brings us then to how you can try to prevent the development of SAD. Um, so first things first, there's no real 100% way to prevent developing SAD. You can only really take steps early on to try and manage the symptoms if you know you have it or are susceptible to it in the winter. Mm -hmm. Some of the things you can try out are, for example, starting out uh, your treatment a little bit earlier. That can help stifle some of the the, the worst reactions to, to your mood, your appetite, your energy levels. And yeah, since you know it's coming up in the winter and just sort of like keep those complications in, in check. Um, some people find, yeah, some people just find it very helpful to be able to start earlier on already in, in the fall before their symptoms really get bad. Mm -hmm. While other people need continuous treatment to, to prevent the symptoms from returning or as badly as it normally does. You can already start light treatment early, early in the morning before you, you sort of develop the symptoms. And if you know you are at risk, uh, yeah. But so it's, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it really is just trying to, to manage those symptoms as much as possible. You, you won't 100% get rid of them or, like, prevent them from coming up, but you can really try to lower them and make them less influential on your daily life during the winter as possible. Yeah. One thing I really hate is the daylight savings clock change that we have. Mm -hmm. That really causes some problems with me, for me. Also in this, in this era, right? It's like mm -hmm. a major shif shift in your rhythm that all of a sudden has to happen and your body isn't used to it mm -hmm. yet, that like is one of those time periods where I really suffer. Mm. <laughs> I don't necessarily have sad, but I, I know that my body is not happy with this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then uh, when we get to treatments, we have three different options. We have the light therapy, pharmacotherapy, which basically just means drugs, drugs and cognitive behavior therapy. Interestingly enough, 
no, none of these treatments or combination of treatments have been found superior. Uh, so the treatment choice is usually up to the patient and what works for them and what they like and what works for them in their life. There's quite a few published studies on the effect of light therapy in person with SAD. Not all of them meet the standards of like really good studies uh, with a acceptable placebo, which is of course difficult because people will know if they're looking at a light or not. But they have been really trying hard to get something uh, good. Now, practice guidelines for this this type of treatment is that patients should be positioned 12 to 18 inches from a white fluorescent light at a standard dose of 10,000 lux for 30 minutes per day in the early morning. Now, a big comment with that, of course, is that if you're in a group that has a phase delay that works really well, but if you have uh, if you're advanced in your circadian rhythm, you would actually need it in the evening. But there's no way to test it. So I would still recommend trying it in the early morning and then seeing if that works for you or not. Mm. But maybe if it doesn't work, try it in the evening. Who knows? Now, while you're doing this, you need to be awake (laughs) 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 with your eyes open. But you're not required to look at the light directly. So you can eat or read or whatever. Multitask. Um, As long as the light enters the pupil because you want those special non-rot, not cone cells back there to uh, find the light and then send it to your SCN center, as we have just learned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ultraviolet wavelengths have not shown to improve anything and uh, should be avoided because of potentially harmful effects. Okay, Uh, it has been shown to be uh, significantly improved after two weeks of light therapy. However, when treatment is discontinued, patients relapse after a similar period. So you should be doing the light treatment continuously until spring or summer when you don't usually have this anymore. But it does seem to work in about 80% of people, which is quite a bit. No, for sure. That's uh, It's very effective then. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in addition to that, we mentioned that blind people also or visually impaired people also suffer from SAD. And there's actually at least been one study that looked at treating visually impaired people with light therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, they provided a daily sort of a light box daily for six weeks to these visually impaired people. They had to sit about 35 centimeters away from it. And again, with that sort of 10,000 lux, which from what I've been able to tell is about basically ambient light level. So not that intense of a light source uh, that you can sort of look at it, even if you are visually impaired. And what they saw is that the, the, the visually impaired people, even though they were visually impaired, they, the, having access to the light source uh, basically lowered all their symptoms and the, the measurements of SAD, sort of depressive uh, measurements that the, the researchers were looking at. Yeah, so yeah, it, it works on the visually impaired people that they, they sort of reduce all their, their SAD, the SAD metrics that the scientists were measuring, at least, mm-hmm. with the questionnaires and stuff like that again. So it definitely worked for that. And to a certain extent, in, in again, I have to say that this this study uh, was sort of problematic because they originally wanted to recruit 184 visually impaired people, but because of a lot of reasons like dropouts and people who also had visual impairment that they couldn't see look into sort of a direct light source like this light source that they were providing without having more visual impairment. Mm. There was uh, some diseases like that. And just failure to follow up, they ended up with 12 people. (laughs) So that that makes it a little bit more complicated to uh, look at all these results. But 
for what for what they could measure with these people, it definitely helped. And it also improved uh, sleep quality over daytime and reduced napping as well and nightly awakenings. Uh, but not significantly, uh, I do have mm. to mention. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other treatment that we have is pharmacotherapy, which is basically drugs. Now, I'm not going to mention any of these drugs because this is something that you should discuss with your professional. Um, however, we can, t- of course, talk about some of the results of studies. There was this one study who tried either light therapy for 30 minutes a day or a placebo, which is uh, only a hundred lux light therapy mm. for 30 minutes daily. So they did get a light, but it was just a lot, lot, lot less bright, uh, which is then maybe a better placebo than not having any light, right? Mm-hmm. Or a drug or both. And they, they found that the, the clinical response was similar. Uh, and that uh, the the group actually receiving the light therapy at the higher dose actually had an earlier response, uh, so called fa- faster, better, mm-hmm. and had of course a lower rate of adverse effects than the the drug group because a drug always well usually has some uh, li- uh, has some some side effects. Of course, the combination was comparably effective and uh, well tolerated. Anyway, the conclusion mainly was that that light therapy and drugs seem to work just as well. Equally as well, yeah. Equally as well. And then light therapy can give you some side effects, like a bit look seeing a bit blurry or like being mm-hmm. a bit dizzy for some people. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if it doesn't work, of course you need the drugs and you have a real depression and of course you need the drugs. Uh, but you should decide that with your, with your professional therapist or doctor or, or whatever you have. Yeah. I should also mention that there was one study we came across that looked at light therapy for non-sad people. So just normally, mm-hmm. I guess, depressed people. And there as well, it showed some benefits. So ah. that's also nice to uh, look into. Yes. Normally depressed people. Okay. The, the, you know, those normal folk. <laughs> you know, sure. <laughs> those around the equator, I guess. Okay. And then you also have cognitive behavior therapy. That also seems to be beneficial for sad. It's basically just with the help of a professional Guide, professional guidance uh, change your thinking patterns a bit. So, uh, so two studies showed that cognitive behavior therapy, uh, light therapy, or the combination showed all sort of the same good results, all significant improvement. Combi- combined treatment had the highest remission rate, but it was not statistically superior to just the one uh, alone. So it seems to all work equally well. However, the cognitive behavior therapy does seem to also have some positive effect for the following year and the light treatment does not, then you need to restart the right treatment, light treatment, of course. You need more light. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was basically the treatment options. Mm-hmm. Again, I am so surprised that light therapy seems to work so well. Yeah. This this really like just as equally well as like a real going to real therapy like twice a week i think they yep. did the cbt the, the cognitive behavior therapy mm-hmm. twice a week 90 minutes yeah <laughs> or or treatment with a drug that has like some real side effects right mm-hmm. the light therapy seems to be amazing i mean i also would imagine that it's sort of easier to what's the word again like stick to a light treatment for like 30 minutes for at ambient light level I mean, if you do it with your breakfast every day it's, yeah, it's quite can, easy yeah. yeah exactly like versus actually going to someone for and getting treat train training for like the cbd and stuff like that and like yeah 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 
Okay, now while researching this, I also came across two really interesting papers that I just want to casually mention here at the end. One was about looking into rodent models for SAD, uh, but the problem is that, of course, your circadian rhythm plays a really big role in this, and in mice, mice are awake during the night and sleep during the day. So they are really horrible for circadian rhythm studies. So they were looking for rodents that are awake during the day and asleep at night. So they're actually considering the fat sand red, red <laughs> the fat sand red and the now grass red as potential models uh, for SAD, which they didn't get any further with, but I still think it's funny. <laughs> Soon in the future, we will have sad rats. Yes. And this other study that I just want to mention very quickly is that they had a bedroom lighting sit system which automatically made artificial dawn and artificial dusk uh, installed in a psychiatric ward. And it actually really showed to help these patients. They generally woke up a bit earlier, they slept longer, and they had a higher sleep efficiency and really didn't wake up as much as normal. So uh, this, this lighting system that apparently makes dawn and dusk really helped these patients. And honestly, it sounds absolutely perfect. So I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta get into that psychiatric ward then. Um, that's not really where I was going with this. Well, that's that's where they have it. I, I see no problem. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that was all the science that we wanted to tell you guys about today. Uh, we hope it was sort sort of organized and fun to listen to. Yes. If you really want to support our podcast. You can, of course, follow us or give us a rating on your, on your preferred podcast listening platform. That would really, really help us. You can also follow us on our social media, Jaden, which one are those again? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and also Mastodon. Yes. Also sign up for our newsletter, which is a lot of fun via our website, AustralianScientist.com. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, uh, papers we need to read, you can contact us via AustralianScientist at Hotmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and uh, hope to see you next time. Bye. Bye.